Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Dr. Hunter Baker asked me if I knew what happened immediately after the uh, adoption ratification of the 19th Amendment giving women the right to vote, and I admitted that I did not know, and the answer to the question is abolition. Um, The abolitionist movement followed uh, immediately on the heels, prohibition, what did I say, abolition? Sorry, prohibition. Prohibition, uh, and and so uh, thank you for the person who then just sent me an article today um, that apparently um, uh, the federal government is now recommending that uh, men um, only have one drink a day. So there you go. Men are urged to limit their alcohol consumption to one drink a day. Uh, New concerns being raised. Well, apparently moms have known this for a really long time. So follow mom's advice. Just don't drink. Um, But there you go. If you need the government to tell you, um, you know, limit it. To no more than one drink a day. All right. The pandemic is striking uh, directly at the heart of um, the U.S., not just our economy, but the, actually the way we work. And that is related to productivity. Uh, one of the reasons, maybe the primary reason that America has been so uh, incredibly abundantly productive is that her people are, well, very productive people. Like, right, put our shoulder to the plow. Don't look back. We're, uh, we're good at these things, right? COVID-19, according to um, information that's now coming out, you know, early on, uh, there were companies telling us, hey, we've seen no dip in productivity. People can work from home. It's not a problem. The challenge is that as this goes on longer and longer and longer, people are now living at work, right? We're literally living at work because all of our work is now being done at home or people are um, like moving into their workplaces. Like I've got a friend in Texas, whose husband is a uh, a pulmonologist, and so he has uh, literally not been home, not been home since this started, living in a in a, a condo next to the hospital, so that he does not cross contaminate either um, his family to his patients or the things at the hospital to his family. So, um, lots of folks um, who are suffering the long term effects then of either having their work at home or living at work. In the midst of that, we have this strange thing happening where the um, the S&P 500, so that's like the Dow, but it's a different, uh, uh, different um, market. Okay, so the S&P 500 reached an, a new all-time high. Uh, it, it's rallied by 50% since hitting a low point in March. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in, in the American workplace, we're actually going to talk with Bill English. Uh, we're going to finish the conversation that we started last week. We're going to talk about really what are the purposes for business? Um, why did God create businesses, not just work, not just labor for us to do, but 
what's God's point in having us work in productive businesses? And then uh, we're going to turn to the question of what in the world's going on with the markets today. That's up next with Bill English. We'll be right back. is back from bibleandbusiness.com. So uh, we started talking last week about God's purpose for business. Let's continue that conversation today. Bill, why did God create business? Yeah, four purposes uh, that I've, I've been able to come up with. Uh, first of all, to uh, for we'll just put it under the word products is the first purpose. God created business to provide products and services which allow the community and enable the community to flourish. Now, I take this from Genesis 1.28, that whole kind of creation passage where God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue the earth, to rule over the earth. And the Hebrew word there for fruitful really talks about increasing or flourishing. Uh, Sometimes we say uh, when a plant bears fruit, it is said to be flourishing. And, uh, you know, I kind of connect that dot with Galatians where we're producing fruit that is in keeping with the Spirit. So our work uh, should uh, produce increasing. It should help those around us flourish. Uh, And so that is really one of the purposes of business. It's a structured way to produce products and services which allow the community to flourish. You know, as you say that, I'm thinking about all of the places in Scripture where it talks about uh, reaping and sowing or sowing and reaping, um, where we are encouraged to cultivate in the culture um, those things which are pleasing to God, that there is this productive nature, this multiplying uh, impact that that God intends us to have with the good gifts that he gives us. So, all right. So products, that sounds good. How about about the next purpose? Yeah. Next one is people. I put it under the word people. It could have also put it under the word passions, but I put it under the word people. God created business to provide people an opportunity to develop their talents and their passions and their interests. And really throughout the Bible, we find people being creative in work. Do we not? Adam naming all the animals, Joseph, I mean, look at Joseph managing to save and then disperse seven years of grain. That's a huge accomplishment from a management perspective. Aaron, uh, even though it was sin, he was able to fashion a calf out of gold. You remember that Jacob did a very good job of breeding superior sheep while he was working uh, for Laban. Uh, and God himself creating the whole world. And I, th- I think God has put in each of us this this creativity uh, to to take our talents and our passions and to do something new with them, to cause an increase, to help the community to flourish. And when we're creative in business, we're really we're really uh, reflecting uh, the the uh, creativity of God. And I, I think that's a wonderful thing for us to do. And so business exists, secondly, to provide people a structured opportunity and a structured way to develop their talents, their passions, their creativities, and their interests. Yeah, and I think today about all of the people around the globe who are applying themselves to the task of uh, finding a vaccine, like, right? So there mm-hmm. there are these mm-hmm. points in time when we see a lot of people applying their intellect and their passion 
um, you know, to the eradication of of a disease. Um, I think about um, guys like uh, Norman Borlaug, who, I mean, he was a geneticist. He was also really, really concerned that people were dying of hunger around the world and, you know, and recognized, hey, the globe is designed to produce enough food for everybody. So what are we doing wrong? Like instead of right, instead of complaining about weather cycles, he developed um, semi-dwarf wheat. Right. And that changed the game. Like you could you could grow then enough wheat in places like India to actually feed the people. It, it, it changed the world. So. There are very positive ways that we as people can apply the gifts, talents, abilities that God has given us um, and that we're, we are in a business that is productive, um, but it's also for the, not only the common good, but for, um, for the good use of the way God has made us. Yeah, and made right. us and made us individually too, right? Absolutely. So, no, yeah. I could not well, have done what Norman Borlag did. No, exactly. No, too much science. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, the the third the third P yes. on the list of God's purposes for creating business. Profits. God created business to provide profits, and profits provide sustainability to the community, the business, families, and individuals. Look, profits are good. Profits are a social good. Profits are a spiritual good. We look at Matthew 25 and the parable of the ten talents. There we see that the two servants who produce profit, never mind the amount. They both they both produce, percentage-wise, the same amount of profit. And as a result, they gained more of the master's presence. They entered into the master's joy, I think is how the NIV puts it in Matthew 25. But the wicked servant, who didn't even bother to earn interest on the one talent that he was given, the master condemned him for this. So creating economic profit in and of itself is a righteous thing and can be used for good. So profits provide an economic stability for everyone involved. You do not need to be greedy to create profits. They can be they can be created without the element of greed. And uh, obviously some profits are going to be reinvested to grow the business and create more jobs. And I think this is also a holy use of profits. Right. And then there's the part that's left over, right? Because that's, right. you know, the we got these basket full of leftovers um, and that's that's important as well. So let's talk about the fourth P, the fourth purpose of God's creating business, and that is philanthropy. Right. Christian business owners moderate their compensation and take a portion of their profits. So to, really to be given away to to really two core things in my estimation. One, uh, the Bible talks about helping the poor. Uh, and I'm, these are my words now, to fully participate in the life of the community. I actually, um, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs in his book, The Dignity of Difference, has an incredible discussion on this in two of his chapters where he concludes, and I agree with him, that it is a moral stain on society when the rich hoard their money and don't give enough to the poor so that the poor can fully participate in the community with dignity. And so uh, there is a responsibility on the part of those who have money to give to those who don't have it. Uh, and the second one here is to support the church, its mission, and its calling. And again, I think it is a moral sin not to tithe. And this applies to everyone. Uh, when you don't tithe, you, sh you really reveal a heart that is not walking closely with God. I think uh, you probably would know this better than I would, Carmen, but I think the average uh, tithing level of a uh, evangelical Christian today is in the two to two and a half percent range, which is yep, horrible. It's low. 
It, it, it's horrible. <laughs> and our churches would not have problems funding ministries and paying pastors an adequate salary if people just tithed. And right now, um, America churches are not tithing. And I think based on Malachi, uh, they are under a curse. And that's one of the reasons our churches appear to be so anemic uh, in our society today. All right. You and I got to take a very brief break. Um, Those are Bill English's four P's of why did God create business, products, people, profits, philanthropy, You can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about why he thinks the markets are so hot right now. We'll be right back. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning light. Continue my conversation with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. All right, Bill, I was a little surprised to see that the markets are, um, you know, frankly, so hot. We're... We're in the midst of a of a global pandemic. Um, people are having a hard time in lots of places. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. The markets traditionally don't like uncertainty. We're in the middle of um, a an election cycle that is also uncertain. Give me give me your your take on why the markets are the way they are and whether or not you're kind of confident in that. Uh, markets aren't always rational. Okay, let's just start there. <laughs> the markets are not always rational. Uh, yeah, normally bet- before a presidential election, about six months before a presidential election, the markets or the, the economy slows down. Most of our, uh, if you go back to 1960 and look at the genesis, when did recession start? Most of them started within six months of a presidential election. Having hmm. said that, um, uh, I think they're pricing in some of the additional stimulus money. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're pricing in some of the additional stimulus money. And um, uh, the the recession is really hitting pockets of our economy that I think will domino into the rest of the economy sometime Q1, Q2 of next year. But as long as we have an election in front of us, both parties are going to want to keep the money flowing. They're going to come to an agreement. There's going to be more stimulus money out there. And I think that's what the markets are pricing in, quite frankly. All right. You're talking with uh, with people that you know, sort of on the ground. Um, what I are do. you... Yeah, what are you hearing from, you know, people in business that you're talking with today? Yeah, I, I stay in touch with a number of bankers here in the Twin Cities. Everyone is uniform in a couple of things. First of all, they expect the money to flow uh, through the um, election by Q1 of Q2 of next year. Everybody's anticipating a rash of bankruptcies. In spite of the stimulus money, it simply isn't going to be enough to keep the businesses afloat. And if if the COVID uh, virus is still going on, which it's going to be in, in Q1 of next year, we're not going to have a vaccine before the end of the year. And even if we did, it's going to take them six months to get this thing uh, distributed and baked into our society. Um, there's just not going to be enough stimulus money there to keep a lot of these businesses afloat. At any given time, there's about 1% of the businesses in America that are going through bankruptcy. If that doubles to 2%, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if it doubles to 2%, it's going to completely overwhelm the system. The court system won't be able to handle it. The law firms won't be able to handle it. Uh, And and there's, there's going to be some really difficult times there. Most people are expecting that. Uh, to go to one and a half to two percent in Q1 or Q2 of next year. Um, 
And uh, there's one other piece here that the bankers are telling me uh, that they themselves are feeling a pinch because a good portion of their loan portfolios are in real estate. Commercial real estate is very soft right now, not uncommon for these community banks. Now, not, I'm not talking about the big boys, the U.S. banks or the city banks of the world. I'm talking about your local community banks usually have 40 to 50 percent of their loan portfolio in commercial real estate. And so um, – the you know commercial real estate, like I told you a, c a couple weeks ago, that's a business you do not want to be in right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Those those guys are hurting, and uh, the regulators because those loans are becoming soft is what they call it. Maybe they're not in workout yet, but they're going to be heading into workout because the the landlords are not going to be able to make the the mortgage payments. Um, the regulators are now tightening up their uh, scrutiny of other types of loans. And as a result, uh, the banks are really feeling a pinch. They're not making as many loans as they normally make because of COVID. Now they have increased regulation and a good portion of their portfolio is starting to soften up. That's going to hit us also in Q1 when some of those commercial real estate loans go bankrupt, other businesses go bankrupt. The banks are going to take a real hit. The government's going to have to backstop all of this. More government spending is, is on the horizon, I think. That's what I'm hearing on the ground right now. All right. So um, let's talk about positive things Christians can do. And I am going to <laughs> add to the list that even though it is um, August, this is a good time to rewatch um, Frank uh, Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Um, yeah. Because if you want to understand um, how banking works and just how uh, complex it can get in a local community, that's actually um, a really good social commentary on um, on loans in America. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the positive things. I don't want to always be bummer bill on Wednesdays. Here's some positive things Christians can do. First of all, really, in your heart, you really have to trust God for your financial future. Don't trust your 401k. You need to place your heart and your trust with the Lord, not in whatever money you have saved up. Uh, secondly, if you have a lot of money in the stock market or in mutual funds, just stay the course. COVID will pass. We'll get back to a new normal. Wait for that normal to be realized and then assess your investment portfolios. Every financial planner that I've talked to in the last two months has said, stay the course. Don't, don't make big changes right now. And thirdly, really positively, there's a lot of hurting people out there. Look for people. Ask God to send somebody into your life today or this week to whom you can minister. Give of yourself. Get outside yourself. Minister to people who need a touch from the Lord, a healing touch, an emotional touch, an encouragement. Minister to those people today. Uh, but you know what? If you're a business owner, honestly, and you're in a really good position financially, this is a good time to be assessing some of your competitors. Uh, this they might they might be open right now to a merger. They might know that they're headed for bankruptcy. This might be a time to do a merger, and uh, and really and do some consolidation uh, in your industry. Last but not least, I'm going to say this again: Do not fail to tithe. Do not fail to tithe. God has promised in Malachi that if we tithe, he will bless us. When we don't tithe, we'll place ourselves under a curse. So don't fail to tithe. And then one other last, don't fail to praise God. Thank him in any and every trial 
always praise God, always be thankful. That's James 1, that's 1 Thessalonians 3. As Christians, we look past all the garbage that's going on today, and we say, oh my heavens, God, you are great, you are good, you are wonderful, my trust is in you, and I know that someday I'm going to be with you, and all of this will be behind me. Let's put our faith and confidence there. All right, and then number seven, rewatch. Uh, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. <laughs> I'm telling you, people need to rewatch it. I don't think people understand how banks work, and so uh, there you go. That'll be my uh, my number seven on the list of Bill's right. fabulous suggestions of what we could all do today. Um, okay. Bill, as always, thank you so much, Bill English. You can find him at BibleandBusiness.com. We'll be right back. All right. Um, all right. Uh, interesting observation by uh, by a listener who is texting uh, via ZipWhip, which, by the way, uh, you can always do during the show, 877-933-2484, your observations, comments, and commentary and questions. Uh, April says um, people are always talking about the rich giving to the poor. Then we talk about dignity. Wouldn't it be better if we found ways to provide a way for people to help themselves in a way that sustains instead of taxing more um, or relying more on handouts? Uh, this seems to uh, all right. So, so let me just pause and say yes, certainly, empowerment um, is important. Education is important. Lifting people out of poverty is important. Uh, providing ways for them uh, to work and have the dignity of work are important. But there is also this persistent reality, and it's identified by Jesus. And I think we must not forget this. Uh, Jesus is the one who actually says the poor will always be with us. Jesus never forecasts a reality in this fallen world where there will not be widows and orphans in need of our care. It just never happens. Um, the elderly are always going to require um, the, the care of those of us who are not yet elderly. Um, there's a generational requirement here. There is a requirement of men serving women and women serving men. There is a requirement of parents serving children and children serving parents. The reality in the fallen world is that not everyone, not everyone will eventually be able to care for themselves. It's just never going to happen. There's no evidence uh, in scripture that we arrive at the place one day because of our uh, own ability to lift ourselves out of poverty or one another out of poverty, that one day we're all just simply going to live peaceably together. That it just doesn't, it's just not scriptural. So the poor will always be with us. That's what Jesus says. And we have an obligation to care for the poor out of the abundance of the resources that God enables us to produce in our own lives. So it's not necessarily um, about rich and poor. It's about uh, fallenness and brokenness. And those of us who have gifts, talents, and abilities uh, and the ability to produce more in order that we could care for those who, um, who need it. All right. Well, there you go. All right. Brief commentary. Thank you, April, so much for the question. Next up, Sally Clarkson. She's the author of Awaking Wonder. Are you concerned about how kids have been or are being or will be educated during the pandemic? Um, I am. Uh, my Twitter feed, my text messages, my emails, articles are full of concern that parents and grandparents have about the welfare of children right now. Next up, author Sally Clarkson with a brand new book, Awaking Wonder, uh, opening your child's heart to the beauty of learning. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
All right, joining me now, Sally Clarkson. You can find her online at sallyclarkson.com. My guess is many of you already subscribe and listen to her wildly popular podcast, At Home with Sally. She joins us today to talk about her newest book, Awaking Wonder, Opening Your Child's Heart to the Beauty of Learning. Sally, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. Well, it's a, it is a delight to have you. Um, this book really grows out of your own experience of educating your own children in what I will describe as a uh, non-traditional way. Um, you really mm-hmm. did tailor tailor your approach to their education um, to them personally. So just talk about what's behind this book and um, your hope for awaking wonder. Well, I, I as I look back on my journey, I, I was, um, my children are 36 on down and I see them thriving um, in their lives. They have a sense of purpose, and they love the Lord, and they love us, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> but um, as I as I look through the years, I realize that it's so easy to become caught up in um, performance and test scores and grades instead of standing back and saying, children are real human beings with a personality and with a delight to learn. They they ask 400 questions a day when they're four years old. And I thought, I really want to help the parents that I work with, the, the women in my arena, just people who come to me and say, there's a different way to look at the world through the eyes of your child and realize that there are whole worlds to awaken so that they can really have a sense of God, a sense of the beauty in the world, and a sense of personal love from their parents. All right, so let's talk about this word wonder. If I'm going to uh, set myself uh, to the the prospect of awaking wonder, um, Uh I I have to have a bit of an understanding of what you mean by the word. I think that wonder is uh, is basically just an imagination for for the world, an imagination, a wondering, um, a, a natural drive to learn, a natural curiosity about what makes things work. And um, I think that that instead of just focusing on opening a child's head and pouring in a bunch of facts, I think that we have this ability. We have one chance during their young lifetime to say, um, can you imagine what it must have been like in the days of Christ, for instance? And and uh, the Roman guards were running and, and yelling and saying, get out of my way. And children were playing. And, and it's in the context of real life that Christ came in. Or to imagine what it was like to create snowflakes individually or whatever it is to awaken the natural delight and desire that a child has to have the power to know something and to be able to verbalize something. I see. I imagine you looking through telescopes like I like I see. I imagine you um, uh inviting your kids into like the the exploration of mud puddles. Like that's the sort of where my mind goes. I'd love for you to tell us a story um, from your own experience of, uh, of this effort to awake wonder in one of your own children. Well, I, um, I started out my book with a story that uh, caught all of our family. We lived in the mountains of Colorado and we decided one evening to, um, to sleep under the stars because it was a beautiful night and we were all cuddled together under sleeping bags. It's a much easier way to go tenting than to have to pack everything up. And um, as we were watching and we saw the Milky Way, the galaxies, the different things, um, I think everyone was caught up in the beauty of the evening 
But then the next day, one of them uh, said, why don't we look up uh, what the galaxies are? Well, I want to look up the person who discovered the, the stars. Let's, let's study Galileo. I want to. And, and so they were taking off in areas that they were interested in that really, in the long run, when they were raised in a life of wonder, of reading great stories, of focusing on the best resources that are available, um, all four of them, not my intention, became academics, uh, creators, movie makers, PhDs. And when we cooperate with the natural curiosity of children and inform them with great resources, they live into this amazing design that God made them to think, to know, to create, to become. I'm talking with Sally Clarkson. We're talking about her um, newest book, Awaking Wonder, Opening Your Child's Heart to the Beauty of Learning. We'll be right back. You say, come to Continuing my conversation with Sally Clarkson. She's an author. She's a podcaster. She's a speaker. She's a wife. She's a mom. The book we're talking about today is Awaking Wonder, Opening Your Child's Heart to the Beauty of Learning. Best place for like one-stop uh, shopping related to Sally is Sally Clarkson. Dot com. Um, Sally, um, I have uh, I'd love for you to tell us. I'm just going to pick one of one of them here. Um, tell us about the first time you met Joel. <laughs> um, Joel is my six foot five uh, son who's a composer. He's kind of basically an artist at heart. And uh, he was actually born in Vienna, Austria, when, when we were living there, working in a um, in an international chapel. And um, when I look back on the life of Joel, uh, I couldn't possibly have known at that moment that he was a musician, uh, that he, he's, he's a voiceover for books. He, he's just an artist in every way. He cooks, he, um, he teaches. And um, yet I was holding my arms. I, I think about the time when I held my first child, actually, and I feel like God whispered to me, children have an eternal destiny. How will you so love them? How will you so uh, live before them with authenticity that they will want to know me, love me, and that they will believe in my love for them? And, and so I think that God has to awaken uh, a sense of the eyes of your heart to see children as a gift, to see them um, with the possibilities that they have in order for us to be those people who awaken their potential in the rest of their lives. So I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to pick just one of your kids and I, I picked one in the middle because um, I do think that one of the things you do so beautifully is encourage each of us to see children as real people, as individual mm -hmm. people, as created uniquely by God on purpose and for a purpose. And mm -hmm. what we're really doing is helping them discover that. Mm hmm. I think so. And I think it, you know, it says so clearly in Scripture that children are a gift from God. They're a blessing. And that um, when we look at the life of Christ, he said, let the children come to me for such is the kingdom of God. And because as I look back at my own life, I was one of those um, kids who were probably bored in school. I asked too many questions when I was an adult and I was actually living overseas. I thought to myself, wow, I, you know, I really am interested in knowing things. And I wish I had known the best artists and musicians and thoughts. And 
really people have so much capacity. We're to worship God with our minds. And so I thought, I wonder what I could do with my children and so, so that as they're raised in my home, the, the deep desire to know, to learn, to grow, to become would be satisfied in the environment of our home. And I found out that home is a place that was plenty enough to raise my children in a healthy way so that they could be strong in their lifetime. So um, you talk a lot about uh, cultivating that kind of home um, and shaping a wonder-filled home in Chapter 10. I'd like to look for a moment at Chapter 9. Um, Mm -hmm. So Chapter 9 of Awaking Wonder, Opening Your Child's Heart to the Beauty of Learning, Chapter 9 is Creating Wonder-Filled Culture Shapers. Mm -hmm. Um, I often encounter people who imagine that they need to protect their children from culture because culture is viewed as, um, you know, the place where warfare happens, where bad, where kids are introduced to bad things. Culture, mm-hmm. as you are, um, as you are expressing it and viewing it, is the place where uh, we are designed to flourish and create and uh, come alongside God and, mm-hmm. um, t- you know, plant and till and cultivate. Mm-hmm. It's a very different image, and it's one that I share. Um, and so talk with us uh, about some of the ways that we can create wonder-filled culture shapers, kids who aren't afraid to be in the world but recognize that they are not of it. Well, I think that um, when we look at, at the heart of God, he was ultimately a creator, an artist. In the beginning, God created. And uh, so uh, we chose with our children we uh, over, over many other areas, too, uh, that we expose them to, they would watch uh, specific movies. We would uh, we went to Les Miserables as a family. Um, we visited historical places, castles, and museums, and we traveled. and And we we had a realization that if you want to influence culture, you have to understand that music, m- movies, um, all sorts of different venues of the arts are a reflection of what people are thinking. What's influencing their minds, their hearts, their souls. And so we wanted our children to have an imagination that messages that were brought to the world in creative ways uh, would be the the place through which they could creatively bring God's love and messages into their world. And oddly, um, one became a movie maker, uh, another a composer, another um, is a, a has a, a podcast, a popular podcast on the arts, and another is an author of seven books. And so they really grasped the idea that messages do change the world and messages can come through forms of beauty into the world. Okay, so I would love for you to talk with us about your um, most wonderful, like I want you to dream it here for just a moment. You as a child of God, imagine your most wonderful Mother's Day. Um, you know, I, we just kind of celebrated life every day. I, I was talking to my daughter the other day who's visiting here from Scotland. She's finishing her PhD there. And when I walked in the room, she started dancing. And she said, why is it when I see you, I start dancing? And uh, uh, I, I read this book years ago called A Mother Has a Dancing Heart. Or My Mother Had a Dancing Heart. And I think that uh, when we develop a grid in our minds that say, oh, my goodness, I have this opportunity to unearth these amazing human beings, to love them and to enjoy them. And I really, um, I'm not a natural mom. I'd never changed a diaper in my life. 
but I fell in love with my children. And we, um, a, a favorite Mother's Day would just be uh, when we're spending one more day having fun together, celebrate. My daughter was once asked, a different daughter, how, how did you really grow in your faith? Why are all of you four believers? And she said, I think it was because of um, French toast with hot maple syrup and toasted pecans. And they said, what do you mean? And, and she said, we lived in a world where there was beauty, love, goodness, and um, we felt like we could grow into um, organic, full-fledged human beings. And so I think a favorite Mother's Day would just be celebrating on my back deck in Colorado mountains with um, something wonderful to taste and all sorts of sweet little cards and just being together. I just, I just, I love, um, I love your, your family life and I love the heart of your home. I love how you um, help uh, others of us see that and imagine it. Um, And so Sally Clarkson, thank you so much. Thank you for your at home with Sally podcast. Um, Thank you certainly for this most recent of your many books, Awaking Wonder, Opening Your Child's Heart to the Beauty of Learning. want to invite people to visit Sally at sallyclarkson.com. Sally, thank you so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. It was a real privilege to be with you, and I really love what you do. Thank you, Carmen. Well, that's mutual. What a delight. We'll be right back. All right, it is a great day to be a child of God. I want you to consider for just a moment um, that we serve the God of wonder and that he is wonderful, that there are opportunities today for us as children of God to revel in the reality of who God is. Um, I mean, you know, it may be today that you just need to take a moment to contemplate uh, the heavens above, the earth below, um, the the patch of literal ground under your feet. And, um, you know, the garden is a good place to do that. Um, putting your hand to uh, the effort of helping another person is a good way and opportunity to do that. Being a demonstration of the gospel in the life of another person is a wonderful way for us to um, not just imitate God, but really express his presence, his care, his concern, his character, his provision to others. And so as you uh, look about today, consider that you are yet a child of God and that your heart might yet be opened to the beauty of who God is and what he is up to in the world that he so loves. So let's, let's each one of us awake a little wonder in our own lives today, even as we seek to be agents of God's grace and goodness, uh, ambassadors of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And maybe um, if you did not grow up in a home where you were loved and treasured and valued and where a mom and a dad gazed upon you with such deep affection uh, and just committed their lives to being sure that you uh, became aware of who God is and his passionate love for you, just let me be the person who acknowledges that all of that is true today. God loves you. God created you in his image. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He made you on purpose and for a purpose, and he is passionate about you. Never forget that. Have a great day, and God bless. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.